for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Very excited for today's guest. He is going into our Hall of Fame in March, so we're going to touch on that in a little bit. If you went to school with him, you probably know him as Happy Dave, but if you met him in recent years, you'll know him as Father Dave. That'll be Mr. Dave Dwyer. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, you threw in the Mr. too, just for like variety. <laughs> it just popped into my head. John, uh, Jag, if you will, uh, thank you for having me on. It's been a while since I've done some sort of radio or podcast with a fellow JPZer. Yes, but not uh, not long since you've done radio. So with the serious XM mic flag right in front of you there, we're going to come to that in a little bit as well. And actually, I have to correct a mistake that I just made. My producer now on my show that's on every night on Sirius XM, she's a former JPZer, so it's only been a few hours, actually. <laughs> All right, shut her out. <laughs> Shout her out, Krista. Uh, she was Krista Demore, Krista Demore, when she was at Syracuse, and she married married another fellow Newhouse and JPZer, uh, Clay Lapard. He's a broadcast um, news reporter, and they live in Cleveland. They have a little uh, little child, Carmen. So Krista Lapard, my producer on the Busted Halo show. Excellent. Well, let's start at the beginning. And how, I don't know if I should call you Mr. Father Happy. No, it's not Mr. It's anything but Mr. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, Father Dave, Happy Dave, whatever you like. Father Dave, how did you get to Syracuse and end up at the radio station? Boy, yeah, going way back into the days of high school when I was participating in a TV and radio that we had in our, at our public high school and really feel like I kind of got the bug. I was playing with like one of those mini cassette tape recorders, you know, that had the two buttons where you press play and record as of when I was six or seven years old. And we were pretending to be radio hosts instead of, I don't know, team sports or something. That was my sort of after school fun. So I think the bug was in me all from the very beginning. And then I picked communication schools when I was going to college, almost went to Ithaca, um, but decided on Syracuse. Really, one of the things that pushed me towards Syracuse was the things that were available to us, such as at the time it was called UUTV, which I yep. know now is uh, Citrus. And then, of course, the few radio stations that were there in my time, WAR, WJPZ. And there was another one, I think, even as well. But it was those sort of things that really attracted me to Syracuse. And quite honestly, I learned, I would say, a lot more about the broadcast industry and things that have stayed with me all these years from UUTV and WJPZ than I did in a lot of the classes. Classes were great, glad I was there, but it was the practical on the ground experience that we got working as students at these kind of places that was so invaluable that I still, I still draw on today. So you mentioned being uh, the class of 86, getting to WJPZ. The station was on AM, and you were there for the move to FM, right? It was on AM for many years since the 70s until I got there. So I believe the story is, if I'm getting this right, the summer before my freshman year, the AM transmitter tower was on the top of, is it maybe, well, Mount Olympus, I think, way up on, so maybe Flint Hall or one of those up there. And over the summer, the maintenance folks had discovered leaks or something, and they took down the tower So when I started as a freshman at WJPZ 
We were not on FM. We were not even on AM. We were only on the campus cable system. I yep. think it was Channel 7, if I recall. Lucky 7. They had like a pulsating graphic that would go to like the waveform of our voices or the music. That's where I started my broadcasting career was people that were up. Because, of course, my first shift on WJPZ was a 1 to 4 in the morning, I think, yep. when we were still in a little white old house with creaky stairs to get upstairs to the second floor and playing off of turntables, 45 RPMs off of turntables. At one in the morning when clearly nobody was listening, but that, that's that's when it all started. I'm told there was a, there, uh, Felicia was the one listener. Chris Godsick told me that. Felicia would call every night and she would ask for Rick Springfield. <laughs> <laughs> Felicia was our most, perhaps our only, but our most devout listener. She would call every night and she honestly didn't really, and we really, God bless her, we didn't think she was actually calling to request a song, nor did we grab a Rick Springfield record every time she called. That was just kind of like her... Her intro, like on a sitcom when somebody bursts through the door and that's their opening line, that was just her salvo. And what she really <laughs> wanted was the DJ to talk to her when he wasn't on the air for, you know, all night long to keep her it's company. It's a companionship, of course. Of course. And then and then I went into a career where I essentially... <laughs> <laughs> Stained glass window right behind you and looking at and everything. When the station goes to FM, tell me what a difference that was for you and for your classmates. You know, it was great. It was, it was uh, halfway through my junior year, so I guess it would have been January. January of 85. What am I doing the math right? Yes. Yes. My junior year. So all of freshman and sophomore year, we were, were working hard towards this goal and a lot of dedicated people. Uh, if I start naming them, I'll forget all the key ones. But certainly many dedicated people of my peers that were working hard, getting the licenses from the FCC and permissions from the university or whatever it took. It was a lot of work to get us on. And then it was at that time that we had always had the call letters WJPZ, but they decided to go with Z89 as our kind of on-air personality or the on-air sound, if you will, and they picked the format for the music. But it was it was at the time that it was very popular. I grew up in, in New York, and it was at the time that Z100 and many of the others around the nation were using like the X's and the Z's, and, we, and it was perfect because we already had the Z in the call letters. <laughs> so I guess when they got 89.1, they're like, boom, let's do it, Z89. So that was a very exciting time. I was there standing in the station offices and studios when we flipped the switch, and it's a, it's a moment in my life I will never forget. It, it was a great culmination. I've been a part of other startup things in media since then, I was at the launch of Comedy Central, so remember the flipping the switch on that and some other things. But, I mean, it, it was certainly, it was monumentous. And the difference being, of course, you're not talking about multi-million dollar media corporations that were able to start up some sort of new channel. This was a bunch of college kids, and, and we did it. Yay. Do you remember who was in the room at that exact moment? Uh, well, I remember Chris Mossman was on the air. Larry Barron was there. Dave Levin, I think, was the, I'm t you know, who's to my left and to my right. Mary Mancini, these are the folks that were in that original cadre. And I'm pretty sure we we're all there as we're flipping the switch. So prior to when we went on FM, when we were still on the, the cable station, I had, and this was part of how I got the old Happy Dave moniker and personality. My freshman year, I lived on a dorm room floor in Lawrenson. Mm -hmm. So I was on the 11th floor of Lawrence, and, and my roommate was the nickname giver. And there was five guys on my floor. It was an all-guys floor. So maybe, what is there, 25 guys if you got two guys in a room or something. So of those guys, five of us were named David. Huh. He was the one that chose nicknames. And long before I was ever on the air, 
or had a personality or anything, before I had a personality, before I had a non-air radio personality, uh, he had nicknamed me Happy Dave. So everybody at the dorm called me Happy Dave. Oh. And when I went to audition for JPZ, Steve Simpson was the program director. And Steve, Steve Simpson. And he would he was at, uh, what was it, Y94? Y94, yeah. Y94. So Steve Simpson, why, oh, he went by Tommy St. John on the air. Tommy St. John <laughs> and Y94. So he was the program director. And I remember coming up as a squeaky little wet behind the ears freshman, you know, give, handing him whatever, my little form that I filled out or something. And he looks down the paper. He goes, Dave Dwyer. That's a great radio name. Don't ever change it. And so at the beginning, when I was playing for Felicia at one in the morning, you know, I hadn't developed all the skills yet. So it's like, here we go, putting on the Rick Springfield for you. It's Dave Dwyer on WJBZ. And then at some moment, one of those nights, late at night, it came to me that back of the dorm, everybody's calling me Happy Dave. And so at some point it just clicked and I started using that on air and it was like the sort of metamorphosis of the personality came through and, and all the skills came rushing in. And there suddenly I was a I was a CHR DJ as Happy Dave. So I was doing the, prior to when we went on FM, Steve Simpson, again, I'm pretty sure the way he used to assign the various time slots yeah. is that we would all sit in a big room and he would go through the schedule starting with like the least desirable. So starting like with the one in the morning ones and people would raise their hand and he would look around the room and go, okay, you, I'm going to give it to you. And I was sort of holding out and I was still, <laughs> this I guess was the end of my freshman year. Yeah, it was the end of my freshman year because I'd only done one semester. I did the spring semester at the one to four of the morning, obviously the starter slot. And I didn't deserve to be what I was kind of holding out for. So he got to, just because in my head, because I was already happy Dave, I was holding out for four to seven on Friday, which of course is happy hour. Ah. So when he gets to four to seven on Friday, there's other people in the room that have way more experience and have been around for longer and are more professional. And he says, four to seven Friday, and I raise my hand, and he just looked over. He goes, I'm going to give it to him. <laughs> no kidding. And it was happy Dave on the happy hour. And that was, so that would have been all of sophomore year and then the first half of junior year. So I, for, for three semesters, I did the happy Dave happy hour. And then when we went on FM, Dave Levin was the program. He was the chief announcer, I think. And he wanted to put together a morning show that would kind of break the convention of what we had always done, which was everybody only gets three hours a week. Yeah. We want to have as many people involved as possible. It's the radio classroom, you know, <laughs> training for the best in the best in the on the earth. And we wanted as many people as possible. But Dave kind of went out on the limb and said, you know, radio stations, particularly CHR, they've got like a morning show. Right. And we should have a morning show that's the same every day. So we put together kind of a cast of characters, again, along the lines of the zoos or the Z morning shows or those sort of things that were popular in the 80s. Yeah. And we had a little cast of characters, but I was the the one sort of anchor. So we had different people on each days of the week, but Happy Dave was the one on the – and we called it the Crazy Z morning crew. That was – we yeah. came up with that name. Yeah. I think they probably still call it that. And we came up with that name when we went on the air. And so I was, I think it was my second semester senior year, maybe my first semester senior year. I actually registered for a class Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It was, I shouldn't say this. It was comm law. It was communications law required for all new house students. And you're a senior, you got to take comm law. Mm -hmm. And it was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at like 8 or 8.30. And I was on the air from 7 to 10. So, I mean, I, I actually booked a class oh my in goodness. conflict with the radio show. and. 
you know, occasionally would show up and did okay. I think in com law, I'm using more, actually probably using more of that these days in my current career than the way the industry is gone. Yeah, I would. some of the other skills. So, uh, so we went on with the the morning show, the crazy morning crew, and there was people like there was a lot of Dan's. There was a uh, Dan Class, uh, Dan Walkoff. Uh, Captain Chris, Mary Mancini, Tom Giarosso, mm-hmm. Scott Sookman. Um, these were kind of a lot of the the morning the morning gang with the slide whistles and the whole traditional morning show sound. You know, contests. We would have things to give away, like two tickets to the whatever cinema, and we'd do all these crazy contests. And people would call in. And we'd act like we act like we were, but we'd act like a real radio station where we're giving away. We weren't giving away trips to Florida. Actually, to their credit, later on. In my time, and certainly after my time, the ad salespeople did get some pretty significant prizes. It wasn't just cupcakes anymore. <laughs> Cash and cars and everything, yeah. A lot of people I've talked to from the mid-'80s, Dave, talked about you and your role anchoring that morning show. Any particular bits come to mind uh, that you remember doing or being a part of during those days? What I do remember is that when people would call in, and I remember we used this clip for a while in some sort of on-air promo, People calling in, I remember one particular like, happy Dave, I like him, he's funny. And I always thought to myself, I'm not the funny one. I'm sort of a little bit of the ringmaster, but primarily I'm the guy who laughs. <laughs> and so so all these other people would be around me doing goofy stuff and funny stuff, and I'd be laughing. And then once there'd be a big laugh, you know, I'd hit the song and hit the post and we're out. <laughs> so uh, to me, I, I was having fun while everybody else around me was really the... The funny folks or the insightful Mary Mancini and I did the show Mary Mary. Yep. Uh, something, something of a branch off of Happy Dave, I think. But uh, Mary Mary, <laughs> I remember the fact that I lived in Watson Dorm, yep. which is is where the, the studios are still, I think, to this day. Yep. But I chose that my last two years, junior and senior year, because of my heavy involvement in JPZ and partially also because I'd be doing the morning show and so all I'd have to do is literally wake up, roll out of bed, and did not have to go outside in the Syracuse winter. Agreed. Through feet of snow. Whereas Mary was coming from, what was that up campus near the, where we're going to have the drumlins? What's up there? Oh, way? South Campus. Yeah, where the apartments and stuff are. Yep. South Campus. So she lived there. And it, we'd have three feet of snow, and she'd be trekking in and you know, a few minutes late. And I'm like, oh, tapping my watch. And I'm still in my pajamas, practically, <laughs> and a hat on my head because I haven't taken a shower. And it wasn't even like it was 5 in the morning. It was 7. But, you know, for... College student, that's a lot. It, it is. <laughs> it's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. So you graduate and then take me through some of your career arc since graduation and where you started and to basically to where you are now. Graduating Syracuse, I'd been working. I'm t- talking obviously mostly about radio now, but I'd also been very involved in television, UUTV and directing. And my major was TRF production. Mm-hmm. I did my senior thesis with Danny Zucker, who went on to become an executive producer of Modern Family. Yep. And essentially, he was just as funny and creative back then. So it was really kind of a, a Danny Zucker show. He had interned, I think, the summer before at something like Entertainment Tonight or one of those shows mm-hmm. where he was able to 
get as they're like miking up a celebrity, he was able to get sound bites for them as if it was a retrospect about his career. So that that's what we did. The show that we did for our senior thesis was as if he was a sort of a, a failing or a disappeared big celebrity star. And all these people like, you know, Martin Sheen and oh, wow. uh, Roseanne Arquette were like saying, oh, yes, Danny's very much. So we, we built a whole show around that. That was my senior thesis. So I loved directing television, directing live, multi-camera, but also putting things together. So, I mean, that's, this was my major. A lot of people like counseled me that people that worked at UUTV and JPZ said, you know, we get all that experience here. You should major in something else. So like a lot of the mm. people that worked at UUTV were broadcast management or even a completely different major, something else, you know, for the backup career or whatever. I think the 80s was was right on the cusp of when people started having to need, you know, three and four different majors and backup careers. It was still kind of the more traditional four years. Here's my major. I got a job. So, I mean, people would say that to me, and I'm like, no, I, I this is what I love to do. I don't want to run a TV station as a manager and do the budgets. I want to be behind the camera and say, action and all that. Take camera one. Yeah. So when I graduated, I was really kind of split because I loved my time at, at JPZ, and obviously that senior year doing the morning show, there was even a tad bit. I had a little bit of my 15 minutes of fame with advertisements in the newspaper if I was spinning at either Fagan's or, uh, or wherever. So, I mean, I, I graduated. Honest to God, with two resumes, not that it matters these days, people probably change it every day, but when you have to go to like a Kinko's and have them printed up and do 500 of them, I had two different resumes, one for radio on air and, and other broadcast journalism type stuff if I wanted to do whatever, sort of news anchoring or something, but then a separate resume for TV production. I had worked at MTV as an intern in their production department over the summers, and, and so I really was kind of split when I graduated as to what career path I would take, and through not a lot of great discernment or pro and con weighing, I just kind of went with production and not on air and went to, and I went back to MTV because I'd interned there and I had a little job right out of college where I was literally the tape librarian writing numbers on the sides of oh, wow. like George Michael interview tape one. And, you know, I'd have to put <laughs> it on the shelf and somebody would come in and go, where's that dang George Michael interview? Why don't you use that clip again? And I'm like, that's right here. I happen to have it. I'm the tape librarian. <laughs> So that was my first job out of college. But eventually, MTV still in the mid-80s was such a young and fast-growing mm. company and place to work that, I mean, I started as a nothing. And within, I'm going to say, eight or nine months, I was literally producing TV shows in oh, their wow. long-form department. What kind of shows? Uh, so at the time, it was still mostly VJ segments. So I worked oh, okay. in the department that they called long-form out of that came things like the um, Unplugged series yep. and almost like the Behind the Music, that was VH1, but it was kind of those documentary, rockumentaries, I think we kind of coined the term uh -huh. when I was there, rockumentaries, like a half an hour. I do remember the George Michael one when he came out with his Faith album because they, they shot it on film and they wanted to look real cool and you know go over the top and all that. And then I started working on a lot of comedy stuff. So I worked with a great guy uh, named Bill Aiken who died very young in his, in his 30s. But he was really kind of, he took me under uh, under his wing. We worked with a lot of comedy stuff. We did a show called The Half Hour Comedy Hour that I was directing and helping produce. At the time, people used to call comedy the rock and roll of the 80s because it was such a stand-up comedy boom in the yeah. mid to late 80s. You know, back in the day, before that, you'd have to be on Johnny Carson in order to get any kind of TV exposure. Sure, and then with yeah. the advent of, of cable TV, there was a lot more of these shows. So we did one on MTV called The Half Hour Comedy Hour. Ha <laughs> ha. Comedians doing stand-up comedy, but interspersed with little comedy skits and bits and things like that. But, I mean, the likes of, honest to God, 
David Spade, Ray Romano, Chris mm. Rock, Adam Sandler, all these guys were, some of them doing their first TV. They were just coming up at that time. It, just coming up. And I was like editing all of their bits. And their, I could recount every one of their routines when I would see them. <laughs> and people like, like I got to be friends with Adam Sandler. And somebody like me, again, back to the morning show, JBZ, somebody like me who has a good laugh, comedians tend to like to have around. So Sandler would honestly call me up every time he was on Letterman and go, Dwyer, Dwyer. Uh, I need you there. I gotta, gotta have you there. I gotta have you there, Letterman. Wow! <laughs> Just because he knew that I would uh, be in the audience. One time when I was working at Comedy Channel, on Monday morning, somebody came up to me in my office. I was directing a comedy show, and somebody came up to me in my office and said, "Were you at SNL this weekend?" I'm like, "Yeah." How'd you know? They're like, "We definitely heard your laugh." <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. I was right under the microphone. And in fact, I remember it was the first time that Sandler did Opera Man. Oh wow! And if you go back and watch it, nobody else thought it was funny. And I did. And so you so you could clearly hear me laughing. I was, I was right under a mic and I was just, he was cracking me up as he often did. Of course, absolutely. So what's next after MTV and getting into some of all this comedy stuff? Well, all along, even way back to my freshman year at Syracuse, I was also, in addition to all this, always very involved in my Catholic faith mm -hmm. and never really thought honestly never had an inkling or a calling that I would be in ministry. Okay. It was just seemed to be something that, and a lot of people do this, you know, there's only a few priests and nuns and everybody else that kind of is involved is a lay person who has a job and a family and all that. It just seemed like this is what I would do as my avocation. So at Syracuse, I'd be leading retreats and Bible study groups and all this kind of stuff. And after graduating, still very involved as a young adult. So uh, in my 20s, my late 20s, I went on a trip with my church group to Denver, Colorado, mm -hmm. when Pope John Paul II came for what's called World Youth Day, and they do it all in different places around the world, and it's for, they, they call it youth, but I mean, usually we think of like teenagers when we say that. Typically in the broader international community, that's more like 20-somethings, kind of like young adults. Yep. So sometimes they get three, four million people, and this was a gathering in Denver, Colorado. I'd never been to Denver. I'd been out of work for a while because the, the show at the Comedy Central had ended. And so, you know, between gigs, right, as a, as a freelancer, it's, it's, that's the best time. On the beach. Right. So decided to go to Denver and, again, into my Catholic faith. But it was kind of like one of those, well, John Paul II's getting a little old. You know, I've never seen him. Let's go. Let's go see him sure. in person. So some of my friends, and we went. It was a group of about 20 of us from my church group. And I, during those four days, had a very profound, life-changing experience that I can only describe as a call. Wow. It was not like a voice or a vision, but it was definitely a feeling down deep inside. I mean, even very specifically to priesthood. Okay. That I, again, had never thought of before. And when I got home, that was August of 1993. When I got home, I started, you know, uh, inquiring and knocking on people's doors and doing the recruiting of all the various different Catholic religious groups. And that was August of 93. And by May of 94, I had entered the Paulist Fathers Novitiate. And since then, I've been part of their community. So we've often heard at a banquet where Dr. Rick Wright gets up there and talks about many of our illustrious alumni, President Company included. <laughs> he talks about getting a call from you saying that you're going to enter the priesthood and him being a bit surprised uh, by this phone call. I'm wondering if you can give us your side of that phone call. Well, First of all, I remember him leaving a voicemail. Okay. You know what it was, uh, John? I called him for a reference. Oh, there you go. When I was applying. Because, you know, you have some academic references and other kind of references. I called him for a reference. And so the voicemail went something like this. Happy Dave. <laughs> Happy Dave entering the ministry. Happy Dave 
I myself am part of the AME Zion Church. Happy Dave. <laughs> and he, was, he just went on. He just kept saying Happy Dave on the voicemail and called him back. And he was he was thrilled. I mean, I obviously remember his influence. I remember very clearly one of my one of my writing teachers at Newhouse, Dr. Sharon Hollenbeck. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying on graduation day when I saw her, oh, hey, thanks. You know, I've got the little cap and gown on. And she's like, if you don't do something in your career using your voice, I'll be very disappointed. Wow. And that stayed with me. And that was even long after I decided not to do on air and do behind the scenes production and directing and comedy and all that kind of stuff. But it sort of came back to haunt me <laughs> when I went to the ministry. But then years after going into the ministry, then all of a sudden somebody invented podcasting. And here's another shout out to one of my crazy morning crew fellow JPZ alums, Dan Class, mm-hmm. Danny the K went by. He wrote one of the first and very prolific and successful books on how to produce a podcast. Okay. Podcasting for Beginners, I think it was called. I can picture the book. It was like sort of lime green on the cover. And so I was doing the ministry, and they gave me this sort of website that we were branching out into other media. And I'm like, I don't know anything about no websites. I'm not a writer. But, of course, the talking, I'd been doing the talking. So uh, so we decided to start doing a podcast. So I looked up. I bought Danny the K's book, and I even called him, and I said, hey, we're doing a podcast. What do we do? Well, you need this. you got to upload the files and got a microphone and all that. And, of course, remembering Back when we were at JPZ, remembering all the stuff. So I bought like, you know, compressors and oh, nice yeah. mics and everything. <laughs> you got to have the egg crate foam on the wall like you got there yep. and all that. And we started doing podcasting. And it was soon after that, that SiriusXM approached the Archdiocese of New York and wanted to start an original to them, only available on the subscription service, Channel of Catholic Programming. Their business model is that they pay for programming if they can get a unique niche audience. So right before the Catholic Channel went on the air in 2006, Mm -hmm. they had just added like a NASCAR channel. So they essentially, they look at, you know, 80 million or 100 million NASCAR fans in the States. Where can they only get, you know, the audio from the guy who's driving the car? If we have a station that that's the only place they can get that, they're going to pay 14 bucks a month for, at the time it was Sirius or XM. That's their business model. And honestly, most of the people, when they do surveys, most of the people that pay their monthly fee, it's for one channel. Really? Even though there's 300 channels, they're not paying for the variety. They're paying for that one thing they can only get there. So that's what, and they saw 80 million Catholics in the U.S. and more in Canada. And they're like, well, let's do a channel of original programming and we can program it here in the Archdiocese in New York. So essentially they approached the Archbishop of New York and said, if we gave you money, and equipment and satellites, would you like to provide the programming? Wow. And of course he said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so I heard that they were doing that and having been part of startup things, I sent him over a CD of our podcast and I said, you know what, just put this on at two in the morning. I know it's hard to fill 24 hours when you're first starting up, you know? Sure. Yeah. So put this on at two in the morning. They heard that and I got a call from one of the, the execs at Sirius XM and they said, again, that was Sirius Radio at the time, uh, before the merger. And they said, uh, yeah, thanks for the CD. We'd like you to do a full-time, five-day-a-week live call-in show. I'm like, oh, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you're in great JBZ company at SiriusXM, from Dion Summers to uh, to Dave Gorab to... Took over the whole place, yeah. <laughs> Rich Davis, you name it. Like, we've infiltrated all of SiriusXM at this point. Dion and, and Rich, I think, are two of our finest, obviously, in many ways. People come out of JPZ and gone on to many great careers. In terms of on-air, yep. Chris Bungo in my day... Mike Tierney, who went by T-Bone on the air. Yep. 
Uh, Rich Davis and and Dion, I think, are really, from my memory, I mean, there's maybe people that are they're good that I haven't heard, but they're just really some of the best that are still. I don't know if they're all still, but Rich Davis and and Dion still in on air and you know national on air. Rich Davis is just hard to beat. So so good, so tight. He was a classmate of mine. Yeah, it was he really? Okay. Yeah, he can do. I mean, he can do talk, and he can also do music and hit the post and you know being concise and. So, uh, JBC, a great, of course, media classroom, as we always say. But, yeah, at SiriusXM, there's plenty. Dave Gorab is my boss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was the one just now, just a couple of days ago. I know when you're going to put this up. But a couple of days ago, I was in Rome broadcasting live from Pope Bennett at the 16th funeral. Mm-hmm. Dave Gorab is one of the higher-ups that sort of, you know, gets to decide on that. Thumbs up in the old budget. Yeah, let's fly him over there and do all that. Right, right. And he gave some very nice uh, kudos to how we did the word picture. It was interesting getting into talk radio, after, and you probably find this uh, doing a podcast. Even having done the morning show yeah. on music, that's only so long. I mean, you're not, like right now, I fill 52 minutes, an hour, tw- you know, twice that. So over 100 minutes a day. Well, it's just me talking. Only a couple other people on air, maybe some guests and some callers. But it's not like, let's talk and, you know, have a laugh and hit the post and hit the song and play three songs. It's a lot more talking than it is doing music radio. So that took some getting used to. Because When I got into podcasting, I realized I wasn't talking over a 15-second Katy Perry intro anymore. Right, I understand. Right, yes. Exactly, exactly. you got to keep talking. At first, it's the, because it was a three-hour show at first, mm-hmm. and we did 11 years of three hours, three hours from 7 to 10 at night, five days a week. I remember it was almost exactly six months that we were on the air that there's this tremendous panic or nerves or whatever. It's like, how are we ever possibly going to have enough to say? Yeah. And at six months, it just clicked and it's like, we're never not going to have something to say. There's never, now it may not be Pulitzer Prize winning every single second, but it's talk radio. We're always going to be able to talk. We have conversational people, people like our personalities and are going to tune in even when we're just talking about our day or whatever. So it was almost exactly six months that they just clicked, that little switch in the back of your head that it's not like, okay, well, let's prepare for the show, but... We don't have to have that panic that there's no way anybody could possibly ever fill three hours. Well, with that in mind, Father Dave, give me the elevator pitch. What what do you cover in the show? What's talked about in the show on an average night, realizing, of course, no two nights are the same? Well, it's called The Busted Halo Show. The name Busted Halo was around even before I took over the ministry. It was the Paul's Fathers, my religious community that I joined after World Youth Day and was ordained a priest with them. It's kind of like in the Catholic Church, there's different subgroups, like the Franciscans are the ones Mm -hmm. that wear the brown robes, and the Jesuits, they teach at universities. The Paulists, my group, is um, American. It's fairly young. It's only about 160 years old. And we have always done a lot with media. I'm standing right now in what was one of the first AM radio studios in the country, in the United States. It was WLWL, the Paul's Fathers, my group, it was an AM radio station. You could hear it. Of course, it used to bounce off the ionosphere, and you could hear it in Chicago, all those yeah. old stories about radio. When they built this building that I live in, which was built in 1931, almost the entire basement floor has these double-thick walls, um, soundproofing tiles that are probably made of asbestos, John. I'm looking at them right now. I don't know. <laughs> these are old. But anyway, so they built this, and, it was, and we had been doing radio since the early days, did uh, television in the 1960s based out of Hollywood, a show that would air on Sundays on secular TV stations. So a lot of people knew my group, the Paul's Fathers, from the show called Insight. We, our founder in the late uh, 19th century, started the first Catholic book publishing company. So we'd always really been involved in a lot of media. And so they had created this ministry to young people called Busted Halo that initially was a website primarily. Okay. 
And then my predecessor moved on to a different ministry. They asked me to take over. And I'm like, I don't know about, you know, doing and editing articles. So they hired somebody else to be the editor of the website and, and me to take it in a new direction. So we did a lot of this uh, media stuff. So the show that we do every night on Sirius XM on Channel 129 is primarily what we subtitle it as is answering your questions of faith. Okay. I found that in ministry, not only with young people, but people of all ages, Catholicism and maybe even just religion broadly in general is something where people kind of know some stuff, but they wonder about a lot of stuff. Like, where do we get that? Or why do we think that? Or why do people believe that? Or why don't other people believe what we believe? All that kind of stuff. So even when we would do in-person retreats, when we decided when we started podcasting with Dan Class's book as a guide, we didn't know what we were going to do. We knew we should podcast, but we didn't know what we were going to do. Should we like pray? Should we like read sections of the Bible or something? And on our retreats in person with young people, their favorite part of the whole weekend was when we sat in a circle and people could write down anonymous questions on a piece of paper and we'd pull them out of a hat and and answer questions. Oh, wow. Okay. So we started doing that as the podcast. And then when we went on the air, it's just, I mean, it's answering people's questions of faith, which is a good chunk of it. Obviously, we'll have guests. We'll take calls. We do on Monday night. We actually do ask for people's prayer requests about what's going on in their lives. What should we pray for? Wow. But it would also tend to be... I think like any good talk radio, uh, my co-host has been with me for 16 years, and he's a young person. He's now 40. He was pretty young when we started, but he's now 40. He was a stand-up comedian. He really loves the medium of radio and loves giving me a little what for and a little guff. And people, Uh I think, love hearing the sort of real human side of a priest. We've had callers over the years say just, I didn't know priests were allowed to laugh or, you know, or have fun or talk about what they eat. So a lot of it, John, is just, it's just our lives. I mean, when we sign on, I mean, the first 20 minutes, we're now, we now do a two hour show because after 11 years, I went with the whole Johnny Carson Ah. negotiating thing. I'm like, I'm like, okay, no more Fridays. Uh, let's do two hours. So three. <laughs> so we do a little bit less than we did for the first 11 years. But really, the first 20 minutes or so of every show is just kind of like, what's going on? We're checking in with our lives. My producer, who I mentioned, who's a JPZ alum, she's a new mom of a one-and-a-half-year-old. I mean, you don't need to script a lot and right. just flip on the mics and go, so what did she do today? <laughs> exactly. And what I, what I didn't realize, particularly about talk radio, I would say music radio too, but particularly talk radio, it's such an intimate medium that people really feel like not only that they know us, but they're part of the family. I mean, when we will occasionally do something live and in person, I'm going to be at a big um, Catholic convention that happens every year in Anaheim, California with about 20,000 people or so. And we do the convention floor and we set up our little table and we broadcast from there on location. And people come up and say things like, you know, I feel like you're a part of my family. When people eventually do, I mentioned my co-host has been with me for 16 years. But not everybody that's been part of our on-air team. People have come and gone. Mm-hmm. And when people leave the show, I mean, we have a couple of days of goodbyes with people calling in and tearing up and saying, you know, I feel like I'm losing a family member. I've had people say to me that I've never met in person, well, here where I am in, you know, Oregon, Father so-and-so is my pastor, but Father Dave, you're my priest. Oh, wow. It is that intimate a medium. It's amazing to me that I didn't even remember from the days that we worked in music radio, I knew people would connect and they go, oh, you know, there's some fame or whatnot. But the way in which we can just touch people's lives, I mean, think about it today, just with headphones or earpods or whatever, you're literally inside somebody's head. That's actually something that I, I tell potential podcast clients, yeah. and I'm pitching them on working with me on a podcast, is I tell them, 
What is your favorite morning show that you grew up listening to? If you were here in the Detroit area, you know, yeah. I mean, the top morning shows here or whatever it is, you feel like you knew them because they were on the bus with you on the way to school or in the car on your way to work. Right. And that is the intimacy of audio. And that is what you are describing right now to a T. That really did surprise me. And yet I don't take it for granted now. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's a very powerful medium. We uh, have a great responsibility that what we're saying, I mean, I, I definitely have a a personal stance that while it may work in a lot of either cable news or talk radio to be very polemic. Yeah. I don't think that's good on either side, wherever, you know, wherever poll you want to grab and be uh, uh, dividing or polarizing. Yeah, it's going to get a lot of people to click or to tune in. But I really feel strongly that that's tearing us apart as a society and and also as a, even internally as a church. Sure. So try to be fairly, um, you know, as St. Paul said in his letters, being all things to all people and trying to not take sides on whatever. I mean, we don't do a lot of necessarily political stuff, but I mean, it's easy to get a lot of people tuning in or, you know, liking you on social media if you just find the most volatile thing you can say, whether it's left or right. Yeah. And it's tougher, and I don't want to be patting myself on the back, but it's it's tougher to try to not do that and to still maintain an audience and people that feel they can come back every day and people that will tune in. It's probably not a lot of the big spikes of huge numbers on any given topic or whatever, but it feels more like a long-term relationship rather than just a, a quick flash in the pan. You alluded to this a couple minutes ago. I wanted to ask you this. What do you feel is the biggest misconception about priests and the priesthood that you wish you could put to bed? I'm sure you could go for an hour on this, but give, <laughs> give me just your top one or two where, no, that that's actually not what this is or that's not what my life is like. Well, I mean, for, for Catholic priests, probably one of the big things is is what is this weird anomaly that you all embrace called celibacy. And it's like, well, I, I've heard a lot of like uh, parishioners at parishes, people that have been around church for a long time who kind of joke with you and say, Father, you know, I've been married to her for uh, 40 years, but I don't get any more sex than you do, Father. So I mean, oh, jeez, <laughs> uh, it's something of a false, I don't know, a, a, a false image that one of those things that, that is constitutive of Catholic priesthood that is not in, a, in every kind of ministry, not, certainly not even every kind of Christian ministry, that is that we choose not to get married, not to have like one person as our lifelong love. And yet mm -hmm. I have very intimate relationships. Sometimes we use that as a euphemism for sex. Sure. But as we were just talking about radio, intimate in a lot of important ways where the nurturing of long-term relationships with parishioners or even people that, that I don't know and I haven't met. I mean, I definitely feel that kind of generativity that a parent would feel that, you know, they're passing on something to another generation. So I think one of the big misconceptions is that, you know, if people choose celibacy, it must mean that they're no good at relationships or they can't get a date or they're ugly right. or whatever it is. <laughs> and, you know, any of the best choices in life, I would argue, our choices between two goods. So the church doesn't say that being married and having children is a bad thing and you should choose this over that. It's that all of these things are good for society, for church, and for people's individual lives to be living out. But this is one good that is different than the good that we see. And quite frankly, you know, of course, we, we can definitely point to stories about the priesthood where it's spiled and gone wrong. Of course. And uh, that's been something that's very much harmed 
the people of God over the last several decades of awareness and more than that, that it's been happening. Yeah. But, you know, you also don't have to look far to see that the other thing in life that's held up as the more normal thing doesn't always work out perfectly either. <laughs> and so so it's interesting that people just kind of look at something that that's markedly different than a lot of what the societal norms are, i.e. choosing celibacy, and just say, like, oh, how could anybody ever do that? That's such a unique or special or weird or there's something wrong with you. And it's like, well, you know, I see a lot of people that have chosen the kind of normal thing that I seem to be a lot more content in my life <laughs> and, and nurtured by my relationships than that. Not to say that I necessarily have to justify this choice by saying other things go wrong, but it's just that when you ask about the misconception, I think oftentimes it's quite the opposite of what people think. <laughs> I think that says something about you getting something out of those interpersonal relationships with sure. parishioners, with listeners. You know, when I first reached out to you to come on the podcast, you were one of the only guests that their first response was, well, tell me about you, John. What do you do? That that, that was your first response. You asked about me as opposed to saying, yeah, let me come on and talk about myself. And I think that says a lot about you as a person. Let me bring it back around to WJPZ before we wrap up, Father Dave. And sure. you are being inducted into our Hall of Fame, uh, joining a select group here this March. Tell me what that moment or what that means to you to get that kind of recognition. I mean, it, it's it's wonderful. It's not something that I would have, even as I saw some of my peers, uh, either given the, I mean, I think of one of the early banquets, I might have given one of the keynote addresses or something, but it's not necessarily something like I felt I deserved or should have, or just because I was happy Dave, or I was there when we flipped on FM. So therefore, when it comes, it's it's a very humbling and, and honoring um, uh, choice and, uh, and recognition. I don't know how much fame I've, I've brought to WJBZ. We've been talking about it a lot lately <laughs> on the show now that my producer is also there and we're both planning to come in March for the Hall of Fame ceremony. Um, but it's it's of the many awards and things that, that I've had on, on the years of my career, for me, it's it's all a way of possibly reaching more people. So if there's more recognition, if there's more on the resume, or just recently I was persuaded to write a book, which I really didn't want to do. <laughs> but but those are other ways in which, not for me and not so that the name Happy Dave or Father Dave can be higher up there, or that it's certainly not about making money because none of my money goes to me, but it's really just about the mission. I mean, that's what we talk about in my line of work, that this is really about reaching people. When we first started, I mean, I, I think this is probably the best answer. That When we first started, the Catholic channel at Sirius XM, the other priest in my religious community said, well, you know, this might be a good opportunity, but if it turns into really just like the same old folks who are diehards and go to church all the time, you know, we'd really rather be reaching people that are not in the pews. Right. And that have questions about church or faith or don't feel like they're welcome. And really within the first couple of weeks or months, and still until this day, 16 years later, people all the time say, I haven't been to church in a long time, and I got this subscription with free with my car, and I was flipping around and found you guys, and I've completely reconnected with my faith. That's why I do what I do. That's why I would accept any award or recognition is to hopefully do that some more and reach some more people for the kingdom of God. I think that is a wonderful place to leave it. Congratulations on your upcoming induction into the WJPZ Hall of Fame. Thank you. Happy Dave, Father Dave. I won't say Mr. again, I promise. Happy Dave, Father Dave. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, sharing uh, some of your experience with us, and look forward to seeing you in March. Thanks for having me. It's, it's SiriusXM 129, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, every night. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.